Thank you, band. That was amazing. And good morning. Let's try that again. It's Easter. Good morning. Good morning. All right. It is so good to be with you all this morning. My name's Paul. Uh, I'm really happy to see you. If I haven't met you, come up afterwards and say hi. I'd love to meet you. Uh, as Dan said, we had a bunch of people here yesterday, and they were looking for eggs in this uh, worship center. I heard there were almost 2,000 eggs that were hidden here. And it got me thinking about things that we tend to look for. And so I thought we'd brainstorm a little bit together, you know, get our juices flowing. So go ahead and shout out, what are some of the things that we tend to look for? Keys. Yeah, I know. That'd be the first one. Keys. What else? Phones, glasses, food, wallet, Bluetooth. Nice. I like that. Shoes, a car. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of things. Some of those are good, right? I mean, we enjoy looking for some things and others not so much, right? I don't know if anybody enjoys looking for their keys. But I, but I was thinking about that and I, you know, when you lose your keys, it's a pain, right? But then when you find them, isn't that amazing? <laughs> it's like you're happier than you were before you lost them in the first place. So you start here and you lose your keys, and it's like the world has ended. But then you find them, and it's so much better. That's what we're going to be reflecting on a little bit this morning. Just this cycle of seeking and finding. Seeking and finding. Most of us have played hide-and-seek. Everybody, have you played hide-and-seek? Yeah. So this is played across cultures, across times. It's played... Uh, in France, in Spain, in Nigeria, Korea, Romania, South America. It's played all over the world. And, and what happens in hide-and-seek is actually something very critical to child development. So some of you know that, that when an infant is born, that infant doesn't know that the things that it can't sense still exist, right? Psychologists call this object permanence. And so as, as parents, we, we teach our children this with games. So the first one is, is peekaboo, right? So, so you have your infant, and you hide your face. And in that moment, I mean, talk about trauma. The infant thinks, I mean, not thinks, because it's not verbal yet, the parent has ceased existing. And then you uncover your face. <laughs> and the parent is back. It's magic. You have been found. That, that infant goes from here to here and then back up to here. And as that happens, we're, we're teaching our children a critical part about the world, and that's that things exist even when you can't sense them. We need to know that to function in this world. But there's something even deeper happening as we play this game. Because when that parent hides, and when that infant feels that their parent has stopped existing, there's a deep sense of abandonment, of aloneness, of grief. There's a rupture 
in the relationship. But then, when, when the parent comes back, imagine the joy, the celebration, the excitement, the rupture has been repaired. Everything is back to normal. It's actually better than normal. And because of that, then, this connection forms between the child and the parent. There's a bond. Psychologists call this the rupture, repair, and attachment cycle. And it happens hundreds, thousands of times over the course of a child's life where a relationship is broken, but then it's restored. And because of that repair, there's a deeper connection that's formed. If you were with us Friday evening, we had a beautiful observance service of a really powerful part of the Easter story. We remembered the night that Jesus died on a cross. And we, it's hard to say celebrated that event, but we remembered it and reflected on what that means that Jesus was dead, and then he was buried. He was hidden in a tomb. This morning, we celebrate the fact that early on this first Easter morning, a group of women went to that tomb looking for Jesus. But did they find him? This is where you say no. Did they find him? (laughs) Well done. Yeah, they they didn't find him. The, the, The tomb was empty. As if it wasn't bad enough that Jesus had died, now his body was missing. A rupture had occurred in their relationship. For all appearances, Jesus, the Messiah, their friend, their Savior, had ceased to exist. This morning, we're going to talk about what happens in that moment when we sense that God is not near, where we want to find him, but somehow can't. We're going to talk about what that looks like. You're here on a Sunday morning, on Easter morning, in a church, looking for something. Maybe you're looking for a church. Maybe you're looking for a meaningful time with your family. Maybe you're on your phone looking for lunch after church. (laughs) Maybe you're looking for Jesus, maybe without even realizing it. You're looking to find a Savior. We've already spent, we've already observed that we spend a lot of our times in life looking for things. And if we read the Bible, the Bible actually has an explanation for that. It actually tells us why we look for things. There's a sermon recorded in Acts 17 where the Apostle Paul was speaking to a group of Greeks. And this is what he said to them. He said, And he made from one man, this is God, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God. And perhaps feel their way toward him, and find him, 
yet he is actually not far from each one of us. It's a fascinating statement that the apostle makes. He says that God created multiple cultures to live in different places and at different times during the history of the world. But that one of the things that unites all of those different kinds of people is that we are given a need, a desire, an intention to seek God. We were created with a purpose to seek God. And that's interesting to me because the apostle doesn't say we were created to know God. He doesn't say we were created to be known by God or that we were created to worship God or to serve God. It's the search he focuses on. We were created to look for God. And if that's true, then God must in some ways be hidden. There must be some effort, some journey required of us to find God. And I've heard people complain about this a lot. They say, why is faith so difficult? Why is God God hard to believe in? If, If Christianity is true, why doesn't God just show up and tell us? Why make it so hard on us? Well, maybe this verse helps us to understand why. Maybe it's the search that we were meant for. But we have to understand one other thing about that search because the Bible also says that when we search, we will find. Listen to what one of the prophets said in Jeremiah 29, 13. He says this, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You will find me. Jesus echoes the similar idea when when he comes on earth. Centuries later, he says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. So we were created with this drive to look for God, and God promises if we follow that, he will be found. If we seek, we will find. When the uh, women got to the tomb looking for Jesus' body, they were met by somebody who said, why do you seek for the living among the dead? They were looking in the wrong place for Jesus. And so this morning, I want to suggest three places that we might look if our hope is to find Jesus. If God really expects us to find him, if he promises us that we will find him, then it makes sense that he would give us some ways to do that. And the first is this book right here, the Bible. This is more than a collection of ancient stories. It's more than a handbook of how to live life and be a good person. It's more than a religious text. 
this book is a guide to finding the person of Jesus. The first place we look for Jesus is in the scriptures. We seek the scriptures. I think of the Bible like a, like a treasure map. It's like a map that we have to follow to point to God. Maybe think of treasure map movies. I think it's time for another little brainstorm. Get our juices going again. Uh, what are some treasure map movies that you know of? Goonies. I was hoping someone would say Goonies. Thank you. I heard Indiana Jones somewhere over here. What else? Treasure Island. Good. National Treasure. Yeah. Yeah. Any others? Safari. What? Benchari. Okay. The Pirates of the Caribbean. Are those treasure map movies? Kind of. Maybe. I don't know. I couldn't remember. We love these stories, though, don't we? We love the idea of finding an intricate map that you have to decipher just the right way. And if you do, it'll lead you from one place to another place to another place. And when you get to the end, awaiting you is a prize of great worth. And that's what this book is all about. When you read it, when you study it, when you immerse yourself in it, it guides you, not, not to a way of life, not to ideas that help you, but to a person, to the person of Jesus. And when you find Jesus in here, you will find him to be of such infinite beauty that he will take your breath away. That's what David Brooks found. He is a New York Times columnist and a best-selling author who for most of his life was an atheist. But he, he started a spiritual journey that led him to read the Bible. And this is what he eventually concluded. So I kept going back to the biblical stories, wondering if they were true. Or more precisely, letting the stories gradually sink into this deeper layer inside that was suddenly accessible. And and I think what changed in the most incremental and boring way possible is that at some point I had the sensation that these stories are not fabricated tales happening to other possibly fictional people. They are the underlying shape of reality. David Brooks now calls himself a Christian. He looked for Jesus in the scriptures and he found him. I promise you, if you look for Jesus in the words of this text, you will find him. There are some great ways to do that. If, if you like action movies, you should read the book called Mark. If you like deep philosophy, there's a book called John that is all for you. We're actually going to kick off a series next week where we look at some of the statements that Jesus made about himself to really try and understand who this person is. Look for Jesus in the scriptures. But here's the thing. God loves to use people in his work. Things don't happen in isolation. When uh, Jesus was on earth, he saw some people and he asked them, what are you looking for? And they said, we actually want to know where you're staying. So he said, come and see. Come and see where I'm staying. Well... Today, 
Jesus is staying here in this room, in this collection of people. See, in the Old Testament, the temple, the the physical structure of the temple was called the dwelling place of God. They spoke as if God's presence dwelt there. And then when you get to the New Testament, it said that the people who follow Jesus are the new temple. God's dwelling place is not in a physical location anymore. It's in a community. And so if you want to seek Jesus, look for him among us. Seek in the church. This is what happened for me in high school. I grew up going to church every week. My, my, my family was faithful, and I knew all the stories, and I had all the ideas, and I think probably on some level I believed them. But it wasn't until I moved to a new city and became immersed in a community of people who lived out a life of following Jesus that it became real to me. The, the words describing Jesus became flesh and blood. I saw how people treated each other. I saw how people treated me. I saw how people treated the world around them. I saw Jesus in this group of people. Now, if you are not a regular part of our community here at PBC, I would love to invite you to walk with us, to seek Jesus together with us. You will find some other things than Jesus, for sure. I promise you, if you hang out with us long enough, you will uh, learn some things that don't quite look like Jesus. But I think also you'll sense Christ in this community. I think you'll experience sacrifice and humility and kindness, generosity. I think you'll experience a family that is trying their best to love each other as God has loved us. Making mistakes to be sure, but even in those mistakes, forgiving each other reconcile, seeing that repair form over and over again. There's lots of ways you can plug into the church. Uh, uh, There's a lunch next Sunday where, where if you're new, we'd love to welcome you. There's a men's retreat and a women's retreat coming up. Those are just times that we get away for the weekend and spend some kind of solid time together. It's a great chance to get to know people. We'd love for you to join us, to, to seek Jesus here. Well, if God created us to look for him, as we've been saying, it makes sense for him to give us a few ways to do so. I've talked about how you can seek in the scriptures, how you can seek in the church. And there's one other way I want to point out, and this way is actually closer than we think. The apostle alluded to it in the first passage we read where he said, God is not far from each of us. Now, the Reality is that we can find Jesus in the stories of our lives. Seek in your life. It's one of the most mystical ways that God works. He doesn't just leave us a treasure map here. He doesn't just work among other people. He embeds breadcrumbs within our lives 
clues that lead us step by step to him. Joys, sorrows, struggles, accomplishments. Each of these things, as we pay attention to them, lead us to the creator of life, to Jesus himself. Christian Wyman is a poet and an author. He too grew up without faith, but he found himself experiencing such powerful emotions in life. He got married and celebrated it, and then he battled cancer, and he just lived the daily rigor of life. Eventually, he became a Christian, and this is how he explains it. My old ideas were simply not adequate for the extremes of joy and grief that I experienced. But when I looked at my life through the lens of Christ, it made sense. The world made sense. I've heard a lot of people say lately that the world doesn't seem to make sense anymore, that there's so much division and pain and confusion. And I know a lot of us in our own lives, we get to a place sometimes where we just think, I can't put all the pieces together. Why is life so painful? Why is the ocean so beautiful? How can I be filled with such strong love for another person? And how can people hate and kill each other so easily? The truth is that we need a story to pull everything together. We need something that explains the depth of our joy and our grief and our suffering. And when we follow those clues hidden in our hearts, they lead us to Jesus, who suffered like no man has ever suffered, who celebrated with joy unspeakable, who felt the rawness of what it means to be human, and who delivers us to a fuller experience of what life was meant to be. I don't know a lot of you. I don't know your particular experiences, but I know that you've suffered. I know that you've celebrated I know that you've lost things that have hurt you. And I know you've found things that have brought you great joy. And I know that each of those things is a pointer to God working in your life, drawing you to Christ. Look for Jesus in your life. Let's go back to these women on the first Easter morning. They looked for Jesus. And at first, they didn't find him. Like the infant with the face hidden, Jesus was gone. But then, later that day, Jesus appeared to them. He came back. Not just hands opened up, but back from the dead. He resurrected. He was back in their life. And that cycle was complete. The rupture in their relationship had been repaired. And they went from here to here to there. Their Savior had risen from the dead. And because of that, this eternal attachment was formed between them. 
that cycle is the Christian story of the gospel. Rupture, repair, and detachment. But there's a twist. Because God isn't the one who created the rupture. See, that same infant who is so overjoyed to see her parent, when she gets old enough and starts speaking, I know what her favorite word is going to be. I think you do too. What's, it? What's, what's her favorite word? No. There is something within us, even when met with love, that resists, that turns away, that insists on our own path, even if it's going to hurt us. That's what the Bible calls sin. And that's what ruptures the relationship with God. But because of what we celebrate this morning, because Jesus accepted the consequences of that rupture on himself and then declared victory over it by raising himself from the grave, we are offered a path of repair. That is what God has done for us. And when we accept that, when we live our lives in pursuit of Jesus, we are welcomed into his family, the kingdom of God. We are given an attachment with brothers and sisters and a loving father that starts here in this life today and lasts into eternity. That's the gospel story. Our rupture, God's repair, and eternal attachment. In a moment, we're going to hear some stories. We're going to watch a video with three different stories of people who looked for Jesus and found him in various ways. There are members of our community here. Uh, One of them looked for Jesus in the scriptures. One of them looked for Jesus in a community. One of them looked for Jesus in their own lives. And each of them found that savior, that attachment. But before we get there, there's one more thing we need to know. One more point I want to make sure we understand together. And that is that you aren't the only one seeking. You aren't the only one looking. Kurt Thompson is a medical doctor who wrote a book called The Soul of Shame. And he offers this observation about infants. He says, every newborn comes into the world looking for someone, looking for her. That infant who's hoping to see the face of her parent reappear isn't just looking for anyone. She's looking for somebody who's looking for her, who wants her, who loves her, who desires to care for her. I remember one time playing hide-and-seek in high school. This was during our, our youth group. And we're playing in this person's, they they had a big house, and I I found what I thought was the best hiding place. I was thinking, nobody will ever find me here. So I hid in this hiding spot, and I kind of crammed myself in. I could hear people searching, and I waited there. And I waited there. And I waited there. And I stopped hearing people. (laughs) And I thought, 
maybe this is the best hiding place. <laughs> but where are all my friends? Have they forgotten me? Did they give up on the game? And what started out as fun stopped being fun. I was lonely and scared and even felt rejected. There's another psychologist, D.W. Willicott, who says this, it is joy to be hidden, but disaster not to be found. I wonder if one of the reasons that we don't look for Jesus It's not because we don't think that we'll find him. It's that we don't think he wants to find us. I think some of us think Jesus has stopped looking, that we're not worth being searched for. We think that we've blown it. We think that Jesus has better things to do. We we think that life has gone long enough and the, the hope of being known in the depths of our soul has grown cold and seemed like a dream that will never be realized. It's no fun to play hide and seek when the seeker has given up on the game. If that describes you in any way, then you need to know, you need to hear this morning that Jesus is looking for you. That God wants to know you to find you, to give you that sense of being known in the depths of your soul that you long for more than anything in life. This is what God says in Ezekiel 34, verse 16. He says, I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed. And again, Jesus says something similar when he comes on the scene in Matthew 7, verse 7. Sorry, Luke 19, Verse 10, he says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This morning, I've encouraged you to look for Jesus. I've suggested some ways in the scriptures, in this community, in your own life, that if you search, you will find Jesus. But you need to know that you're not the only one searching. That as you look for Jesus, he is looking for you. And and when those things come together, it's magical. You are known. You know God. You're welcomed into a family. You experience life and peace and comfort in your struggles. That's what we celebrate this morning. That when Jesus rose from the dead, he opened up a way for us to find him and for him to find us. Listen to these stories of three different people who went on that journey. And as you do, ask yourself whether you resonate with any of what they've experienced. Seek Jesus this morning and let yourself be found. God met me in a very surprising place. Whether God existed or not was something that I was always curious about, but never something that I was actively seeking. Before I found Jesus, 
My life was focused mainly on earthly standards. And that was my life. Just just working. And I always knew something was missing. I was an executive in a entertainment company in Los Angeles. I was in search of a good story. And in particular, I was being drawn to a script that involved uh, the Christmas story. What I typically did was to gather all the background materials. And in this case, the primary source was the Bible. Well, every word counted in our storybook, so I had to reread the scriptures over and over again. And while in the short term, my rereading of the scriptures helped create a fun children's storybook, in the deeper sense, God was transforming me. And the more and more I reread the words, I believed in the truth of this story and the whole story of the Bible. So while it may have surprised me that God used the process of this, creating this children's storybook to transform my life and to meet me, I am forever grateful for that project and forever grateful to God and His Word. I started a game company with some friends from school. One of them was living in Austin at the time. He'd fly out to the Bay Area every few months. While he was out here, I'd feel bad for him because he didn't have too many friends, and he'd go to church on his own. One day he asked me, you want to go to church with me? And feeling bad and sorry for him, I decided to say, yes, I'll go with you. And just like God often does, when I thought I was helping someone, God was really working on me. I started learning more about the Word and eventually was baptized at PBC. When my son was a year old, my husband was unfaithful. It was a very dark, dark time. It really hit then what I was seeking, what I was looking for. I was saved in February of 2011. From that moment forward, I wanted to make sure my priority was Joshua. I wanted Joshua to know Jesus because I never had that opportunity growing up. The whole time I'm raising Joshua as a single mom, my prayer was, please God, help me find and marry a Christian man who can lead this family. I married Brad in August 2014 trying to establish a life and community here with Joshua. And then September 11th, 2014, I was diagnosed with my second breast cancer. The first time I had breast cancer, I was in my 20s and not a believer. And man, it felt like the earth, it felt like everything shattered. It was a very lonely time. Now fast forward to September and it hit different because I was a mom. Josh was five. I had just moved here. Everything had upended. And I all remember going outside to my backyard. And I remember saying, God, please grant me as much time with Joshua. He was five. Much time as I can with him, because I have so much to teach him about you. As a believer, I embraced this life scripture 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18. Always be joyful, never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for that is God's will for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Thankfulness in all circumstances, not for it, not when, if, in it. Whatever God gives you, there's a reason and there's a purpose. I'm in it. 
And finally, belong. I belong to Jesus. God found a very creative way to require me to examine his scriptures. It was through the community that I came to know God. When I look back on these 20 years of being a Christian, both my individual faith with God has been very meaningful to me, but also just being part of that church community. We just feel so blessed that our family has had an opportunity to grow together as a family at PBC, but also as part of the church community. I'm seven years in remission from everything that I've gone through. I found Jesus through all of that. I found Jesus pretty late in life, but that's okay. Every day, I feel very grateful to be able to serve and be a part of my family and friends' lives. Spirit, I will rise from the ashes.